I was, I was your typical bus kid, but not always on the bus. Does that make sense? Uh, we didn't come with family. We either rode the bus, walked, rode, rode a bicycle. And I, I'll be honest, I did it. We would go where we would get a meal because we wouldn't get them at home hardly. We would go where we, were, we would get a treat or we would get things like that. And I'm not saying that you got to, uh, what I'm saying is those things kept me there. But the gospel is what has me here today. The gospel is the reason I'm here today. And it's, the, it's the re, the, them preaching the gospel, people faithfully preaching the truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the reason that I'm standing here tonight understanding that there are groups of people all around this world who have never truly heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people all around this world who have never heard, but man, there are people right here in our own country who have never heard the truth of Jesus Christ. And as, you, as the video told you, three, over three and a half million people in the state of Utah, and most of them adhere to the teachings of the Mormon church. Now we understand Paul said in Galatians 1 and verse 8, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let them be accursed. I tell you, that the Mormon gospel, the Mormon teachings is a different gospel. And if you want to take a look at our table, there is a small book of Mormon. I purposely got it so some of you older fellas can't start reading it, okay? But uh, it, it is a very small one. But what I want you to notice, if you take a look at it, it says another testament of Jesus Christ. I don't need another testament. I got what I need. I've got the perfect word of God. And that's all I need. I don't need another one. But they, that book and the other ones with it, they do teach a different gospel. They do teach a, not only a different gospel, but a different Christ. And even if you get deep enough in the religion, you learn that the God that we know of this Bible is not the God of that religion. Amen. That being said, almost three and a, half, a little over three and a half million people in the state of Utah. And right now there are at least 64 cities in that state with 10,000 or more people. But the sad thing about it is there are less than 30 doctrinally sound independent Baptist churches in that entire state. Very few people truly teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we look at that and we're thinking, man, there's less than 30 good Bible preaching Baptist churches in the state of Utah. 64 cities of 10,000 or more. That's a great need for church planting. That's a great need to get some churches started, some families who need their lives changed, who need to hear the truth. But one of those cities, if you have a prayer card, I don't know if everybody has one or if you had an opportunity to grab one. But if you do, well, if you look up here on the screen, thank God there's one there, right? If you look at that little pop out of the state of Utah at the bottom there, there's a star down at that bottom corner that represents the city of St. George. 110 miles north of Las Vegas, closer to Las Vegas than Salt Lake City. That city sits tonight with almost 100,000 people, just under 100,000 people. And that city tonight does not have a like-minded, doctrinally sound Baptist church in the entire city. There, there, nobody tonight will be meeting like we are tonight, or in some cases out west, a lot of people like to meet on Thursdays. They won't be doing it tomorrow either in that city. Sunday, there, there will not be a like-minded Baptist church in that city this coming Sunday meeting who will preach the same gospel that you will hear. 
Now, there, there will be some, some other Christian denominations out there that we would go ahead and we would lump in with that works-based who say that you've got to, well, Christ died, but you still have to do X, Y, Z. Those are there. And then you've got a lot of your prosperity gospel who thrive out there. For some reason, false doctrine ends up thriving where false doctrine thrives. So that's what we see out there in this area. You know, uh, that place is really near and dear to our hearts. I'll tell you why. Uh, As I told you, my wife and I, 15 years, we just celebrated 15 years of marriage. When she was a couple of months pregnant with cash, I took a job out in Utah uh, in that city of St. George is where we stayed. September 10th, 2011, we pull into the city of St. George for the first time. We had rented, we had found on Craigslist uh, a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, We were going to live with another guy I was going to be working with. We found this apartment. It was called the Temple View Apartments. Didn't think much about it being the Temple View Apartments. We were one block south of the temple there in the city, the LDS Temple. And as we come into that town and as as we go out there to work and we spend about 16, 18 months out there working, One thing clicked to me while there. Not only was it a different religion, a different gospel, a different teaching of Christ, not only all that, but there was a great need for the truth. There's a great need for the truth. I'll be honest with you, while we were there at that time, I couldn't wait to get out. I I was so ready to get out of there. When I did leave after Cash was born, uh, Mama and Cash were at home and I got my last paycheck, and I remember calling her on the phone as I was coming down I-15, going toward, uh, going to hit I-10. And I told her, I said, look, I got my last check, and I'm going to tell you, I'm done here. I'm never coming back. If I left something in that apartment, I left something somewhere, they can have it. I'll buy another one. I ain't never coming back here. Here we are. Uh, you know, when the Lord, the Lord let us see something that stuck with us. And that, that's the key thing. We saw something that really stuck with us and stayed with us for a long time. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. We, when we look out there and we think about this and we think about what needs to be done, it, it's kind of scary. I'm not going to lie to you. And you look out there, it, it's a little bit scary. You're thinking, man, I'm fixing to go start a church amongst a cult, a false religion, a different religion. And there's really not much of fellowship out there. There's somebody about an hour north of us to fellowship with, and there's a group of guys up around Salt Lake. But there in our area, it's kind of lonesome. That's scary to think about. And it's also scary to think about the amount of work that needs to be done. But you know, tell you, well, I can sit here and I can look at how scary it is and the problems about it, or I can say, you know what? Man, that's exciting. One of my favorite missionaries is C.T. Studd. One of my favorite old missionaries to read, read about and read his works. C.T. Studd, cricket player, gave up everything to go to Africa, right? And he ended up, he wanted, to, he wanted to evangelize all of Africa, went all through the Congo, did some great and amazing things. C.T. Studd had a long, hard fight in front of him. But I look at his example and the examples of some of these other guys who went to these places who had a, a large task ahead of them. And they didn't look at it and say, uh, man, they ain't, 
that's a lot to do. I don't know if I can do that. They looked at that task and they said, there's something great to be done. We need to go do it. One of my favorite quotes is William Carey said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I want to preach a message to you on that subject, kind of on that line here tonight. It's 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you find your place there, 1 Samuel chapter 14. Tonight, as, as you find your place there, go ahead and kind of give you what this message is. I, I just want you to consider this. Nothing is impossible with God. We understand that. We, we can see God's miracles all through his word. Man, what a miracle it is that God would reach down into a drug and alcohol riddled home like mine was and save a 15 year old boy. You, I'm, everybody in my family has been in and out of prison, on and off drugs, drinking, all these other things. Why am I not there? It's only by the grace of God. It's just a miracle. It is a miracle. Well, you, you look all through his word. He told us that a savior would be born. He told us these things. And we know, we, we, go, back to, we go back through scripture and we know that he would, be, he would come through a virgin. But what a miracle that is. That is above human reasoning. But not above his reasoning. Not above his power. And we can see all the, the Red Sea was split. Gideon takes 300 men and goes and takes on and uh, get against Midian, the Midianites and all these different things. Now, one of my favorite characters, you go back to the book of Judges. One of my favorite men in the book of Judges, there's one verse about him. His name is Shamgar. Go read about Shamgar. Chapter 3, last verse. Man, one verse about him. But Shamgar, he went and took on the Philistines with nothing but an ox goad. What an amazing dude that is. You know what an ox goad is? It's basically, uh, y'all ever messed with a rock pick? It's a big long bar with a spade on one end and a point on the other one. And Shamgar, that's all he had. But he defeated the Philistines with that. That's an amazing thing. But right here, we're going to look at Jonathan. Jonathan, the son of Saul. Jonathan is faced with a dilemma. If you go back and you read verse 13, right there at the end of verse 13, you, you understand uh, that Israel, they have no blacksmith. They have no way of sharpening their tools. The Philistines had made it where they can't sharpen their tools so that they can't rise up against them. And they have to go to the Philistines to get their tools sharpened. But they do have a file. You know, they're allowed to have a file to keep the point sharp, whatever. But they don't have a blacksmith. They have no way to make swords or uh, make any weapons or anything. But here they are. They're coming up against the Philistines. And what we find is we find the children of Israel and even Saul in fear. But what we find is Jonathan, we see his bravery. And I want us to look at this passage right here in 1 Samuel chapter 14. We'll start reading in verse 1. It said, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men and Ahiah, the son of Atub, 
Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over into the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and the sharp rock on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Senna. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. Don't you imagine this right here? Basically, think about this. Think about a canyon. This is what we're looking at. We're looking at a gorge or a canyon right here. And it's, it's basically, he's saying this is a straight up and down rock here and a straight up and down rock here. And this is where they're at. Israel's down here on the south side in Gibeah. Philistines are over here in uh, Michmash on the north side. And then it says in verse six, it says, Jonathan said unto the young man that bare his armor, come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. I want you to notice what he says here. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thine heart. Now I want you to turn your Bible over to verse 23. Verse 23. Just notice these first few words, what it says. So the Lord saved Israel that day. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the day that you've given us, your mercy and your grace. Lord, we just ask that this evening that you would work through your word, that you would just show us something that would uh, encourage us to go a little bit further, that would encourage us to do a little bit more. But God, that would encourage us that you, it is your battle that we just need to get in it and be ready to go. And Lord, we want to thank you for all that you've done, all that you will do. And Lord, we just want to praise your name tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what I want us to look at right here is I want, to, I want you to think about something this evening. We go through this. What is something that I could step out by faith and do for God? Knowing that I can't fail. Now, I might fail in man's eyes. And sometimes I might get discouraged, but knowing that I'm stepping out by faith and trusting him to do it his way and that I'm going to do it according to his word, there's no failure in it. What's something that you would do? Clearly, you know that this is what we are doing, that this is our stepping out by faith and doing something that seems like impossible. But knowing that if we go by his word, trusting him, that he will go with us. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. You no, know, it says, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. But listen, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We got the Great Commission and we, we take the Great Commission and we, we say, look, he told us what to do. He told us to go preach the gospel, to disciple them, to ba you know, baptize them. We got all this. We got all the marching orders, but we always forget one thing. We can go, we can, we can, we can, we can. We need to stop we canning and understand that it's when he goes with us. Amen. Nothing gets done until he goes with us. This is what I believe Jonathan understood that night or that day right there when he was sitting here looking at this situation here. Now I want us to look at a few things. What we're going to do tonight, I'll go ahead and give you the outline. If you want to go to sleep, you can. I'm, if I see you asleep, I'm going to be loud. No, I'm just kidding. 
We're going to look at three individuals here. We're going to look at Saul, we're going to look at Jonathan, and we're going to look at God. All three characters we see doing a work here. They're, they're going to do something in this passage right here. First of all, when we look at Saul, what we notice about Saul is Saul procrastinated in his unbelief. Saul was hanging back because he's scared. We're, we're, we are in the South. I know I'm from North Georgia. And I know we're in North Carolina. But I, if I ain't mistaken, y'all understand what scared is, right? I believe this is the way Saul was right here. Saul was scared. He didn't want to go up there. He's like, man, I, me, me and Jonathan's the only one that's got swords. Go back and look. You can go back up there in uh, chapter 13. The only ones with swords are Saul and Jonathan. Nobody else has swords. They're using blunt end metal things or wood sticks or whatever. I mean, you think about cavemen with clubs. This is what, about what you got here. Nobody's got swords except for Jonathan and Saul. So Saul, he's scared. I want us to look at a few things about Saul. First of all, we see his cowardice. When we look at Saul, I want you to think about where he's at. It said he tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah. Look at verse 3. Is it verse 2? Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. Now, where is the king supposed to be in the battle? I know, don't answer that about today because you look today, the president don't leave the White House and you know, they don't go nowhere near it. But then, where was the king supposed to be in the battle? Front lines. Where was George Washington at? Front lines. Where were the generals in the revolution? On the front lines, right? The king was supposed to be on the front lines. But where's Saul? All the way back in the uttermost part of Gibeah. Think about that. I want you to, we can look forward in the Bible and see how that'll get you in a mess. David stayed back in the palace while Israel was at four. And what happened with David when that happened? He fell into sin. The king's supposed to be on the front line. Then we see his comfort. We look at Saul's comfort. He's under that pomegranate tree. Sitting there, he's got his servant sitting there popping pomegranates. And he's popping pomegranate seeds, just enjoying life in the shade, right? He ain't got nothing to worry about. He's over there in the shade. He ain't sweating. He's got nice water. He's got pomegranates. He's all good. He he preferred his shade to his duty. And then I want you to look at his crowd. I won't spend no time here. Saul's down here with 600 men. 600 men where it's comfortable, where it's quiet, and there's no danger. But then I want us to look at his counsel. Now, this is, I think this is important right here. When we look at Saul's counsel right here, his counsel is the line of Eli. The priest that he has here with him is from the lineage of Eli. Now, if you go back a few chapters here in 1 Samuel, you'll see where Eli, y'all remember his kids? His kids defiled the offering and defiled the temple. And God said, cutting it off. Your, your, your fam, basically he said your family is cut off from the priesthood but here we see Eli's lineage is the one that he's got with the ephod as the priest there with him he's got the wrong kind of counsel I want us to look though think about this Saul was cowardly he was all the way back there but think about this where are we at this evening just take a step back are you on the front lines are you ready for the fight? Are you in the fight? Or 
are you just a bench warmer? Don't take it personal. I'm not pointing fingers tonight. I'm just giving you something to think about. Are we, just, are we just coming to church? Are we just doing our thing and keeping it my four no more inside the four walls is all we need to do? Or are we on the front lines? Do you got a, do you got a cup holder full of tracks in your car? Do you keep tracks in your pocket? I, I would ask Cash, but I don't think he does tonight. Usually Cash has got a pocket full of tracks on him. Are you carrying tracks everywhere you go? Are you, are you telling people about Christ? What about your neighbor? Your friends, your loved ones. I done told you, I got a, my family. I can't talk to my family without witnessing. There, there is no leisure conversation there. because They are that lost. Do you understand what I mean? They are that lost. When I talk to them, there's got to be some type of witness in that conversation every single time. But that ain't the only people I need to be witnessing to. How many people, did I, I didn't run into that many people today. I was a recluse today. But on a normal day, how many people do we run into? And now I want you to think, let's say we run into 10 people. How many people did we tell about Jesus? Okay, if we told three, are we scared? Are we on the front lines or are we hiding out back at the uttermost part of Gibeah? That's what I want to ask you this evening. Are we afraid to get too close to the battle? Are we afraid to get too close to the fight? But then what about our comforts? A lot of times we don't step out and do anything that would be a by faith step. We don't, we don't take that next step. We don't take that uncomfortable step of faith because of our comforts. Be honest with you. Ministry is not comfortable. The ministry is not comfortable. One, it's not comfortable going up to somebody who's never heard the gospel. All they ever knew was the LDS church. It's the only thing they've ever heard. It's not comfortable to say, brother, I just want to let you know that the Bible says this. And if you don't repent of what you're trusting, if you don't repent of that and trust Christ and him alone, you will die and go to hell. You know, it don't take long for it to click. So you tell me grandma's in hell? Oh, you, you're telling me grandpa's in hell? Because that's what they believed. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to talk to somebody who's dealing with addiction or loss or anything like that. That's an uncomfortable thing. It's uncomfortable to talk to somebody who's having family problems. But you know, it might be uncomfortable, but it's needful. And what a blessing it is when you can help somebody. But are we too comfortable? Well, I got my nice jacket on. got my nice shoes on. I don't, I don't want to walk up to that house and get my shoes muddy. Knock on their door. Tell them they need Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't want to drive up that driveway and risk, you know, scuffing the bottom of my car and all that. Maybe somebody else can go up there and tell them about Jesus. Not you, who? If not you, who? Sometimes it's uncomfortable to talk to your friends. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to talk to your coworkers, that guy that you're beside every single day. When I, I was working in the oil and gas industry, I used to have, it was nine times out of ten, it was a Hispanic fella. And I'd have a Hispanic fella who spoke hardly any English. 
riding with me every single day. And he would come up to my door and he would open my door on my excavator and he'd start asking me questions. I'm like, dude, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know where we're going here. But can I tell you, when we were in the truck, just me and him, we had conversations. We had conversations about who God is. We had conversations about who Christ is. I learned a lot about the. I never studied anything about the Catholic Church. But I tell you what, you get with somebody that's been in the Catholic religion their whole life, you'll understand how wicked it is, especially down in South America. A lot of time was spent refuting Catholic doctrine in my pickup trucks, riding to and from work. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, but it's needful. Again, I'm not going to mess with the crowd. I'll just tell you this. It's easy to get a big crowd to do nothing. We'll leave it there. You can take it how you want. You, you, go, you can go look at some of these places around America and watch them on TV and everything else. They ain't, got, they ain't, they ain't encouraging nobody to do anything. There's a lot of people there. And then with the council. I'm going to be honest with you. Your pastor don't know me that well, but I, I've looked into him a good bit. I've heard a lot of good about him. And we've even bought some of his books. I hadn't had the time to start reading them yet, but we've heard a lot of good about your pastor. Man, y'all, y'all have been given some good counsel. Why would you turn on TBN to get counsel on what you should do in your Christian life? Why would you go to the drunkard at work to get counsel about what you should do with your life? You got a pastor and a good one at that. We'll move on. We, we see Saul, how he procrastinated in unbelief. But I want us to look at Jonathan. Jonathan proceeds by faith. Look, this is kind of what I was touching on a while ago. Saul's looking at the obstacle. He's looking at the reasons why he can't do what he needs to be doing. Again, a lot of people tell us, thank y'all for not being those people. But a lot of people, we go into churches and we hear all these, uh, it can't nothing be done out there. They don't want to hear it. They don't want nothing to do with it. Good luck. Man, that's encouraging. Appreciate that. I'm going to carry that luck, put it in my back pocket, and throw it out the window when we leave here. That's what luck is. Yep. Yes, sir. I want your prayers. Yeah. I want you to pray for us. Because I'm looking at the obstacles, and I'm not looking and saying, you can't reach a Mormon. They got their own book. That's true. They do have their own book. Or they believe a different gospel. That is true. That's why we need to go. Yes. Hindus believe something different. Muslims believe something different. The Jews believe something different. But we still need to go. That don't keep us from having to take the gospel to us. It's still our responsibility. Look, Jonathan, he didn't look at the obstacles. Jonathan looked at opportunity. Y'all, I'm going to tell you something. We are, right now, I didn't put this in the presentation. I missed it. I, I'm going to tell you right now. We're just over 80% of our needed support. And we've set a moving date for August the 1st. I'm excited. I am so excited. My family's excited. We're about to move to a whole different place. But can I tell y'all something? I'm going to fill y'all in on a secret. We got this whole city to ourselves. What an amazing thing that is. I ain't got to worry about stepping on this guy's toes. I ain't got to worry about getting in this guy's water. I ain't got to worry about messing with this guy's congregation. We got it all. What an amazing thing. That's an opportunity. 
I ain't got to worry about hurting the next preacher's feelings. And if I do, they didn't need to be there anyway. And if I hurt the preacher over here's feelings, well, you need to start preaching the gospel. Hey, we got an opportunity. I'm not looking at obstacles. Only obstacles I'm looking at is just getting there. But that's just more of an encouragement to work hard to get there. Look, we can, we can look, look at all these different things. I want you to notice a few things about Jonathan. First of all, his courage. Jonathan didn't sit around waiting for more men to come up. He didn't wait for more people to come join up with him. He said, you know what? Something's got to be done. We're going to do it. And you see his circumstances. I told you about that canyon. You got the two rocks. You got one rock on this side, a canyon separating these two uh, provinces or whatever you want, these two areas, these two cities. And this canyon separates them. And that's a difficult passage to make. Not only the, the canyon there, but a garrison, if you go back, again, you, you read the rest of this chapter and you'll see that there's at least 20 men over there in this garrison. There's at least 20 men over there. So they're outnumbered 10 to 1 because it's just him and his armor bearer. And then we notice his confidence. Man, Jonathan, he's the son of the king, the son of Saul. Saul being the head and shoulders above every man in Israel, I imagine his son would probably be right there with him, wouldn't you? Although, I don't know, I'm 5'10", stretching. Cash, he'll be six foot by the time he's 13, it looks like. So I don't know, maybe he was a head taller than Saul, who knows. But he's the son of the king. And if Saul's a powerful, strong man, pretty sure Jonathan was too. His confidence wasn't in who he was. His confidence wasn't in his ability, and it sure wasn't in their weapons. His confidence was in God. Look at verse 6. He said, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Notice what he says right here. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. He didn't have confidence in numbers. He didn't have confidence in himself. He had confidence in God and God alone. And then we notice his companion, his armor bearer. Man, he probably, God probably, God could have done this with just Jonathan. But we know how God works. He had to have a witness there, right? So he gave him that armor bearer, somebody for an encouragement to go with him. He had to have somebody for an encouragement. Look, I want to ask you tonight, what about your courage? What are you waiting on? What, what, what are you sitting back in fear about? What are you waiting to encourage you? What courage do you need? Are you waiting on somebody else to step out first? Or are you waiting on conditions to be favorable? And you're going to be waiting a while. The world is never going to be on our side when it comes to reaching them with the gospel. What about our circumstances? Again, circumstance. Look, we, I can sit here and I can holler all our circumstances. Ooh, we need financial support. We need this. We need that. Da, da, da. I'm trusting God for it. He, my God's not poor. He is not poor. He's got it all. I'm not waiting on circumstances to get better. I know as a ministry, we are raising support, but I am not waiting on circumstances in Utah to get better. Can I tell you the circumstances of housing and buildings in St. George are getting worse every day. We started deputation filling up our minivan for $25. I filled up the other day for 67 and I'm riding on fumes tonight because I'm scared to fill up again. 
I asked my wife if she had a bank on speed dial for in the morning because I'm kidding y'all. It's, but it is. It, I mean, we started at $25, $67 the other day. We spent $130 to get from North Georgia to where we were at when we came up here. We've been up here in a mission conference. That's it's crazy. Hey, my God's got enough money to pay for it all. I'm not worried about it. I mean, my confidence. Look, I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all. Ain't nothing in me confident. When I say I'm not confident in my power, my ability, I am the most awkward person you'll ever meet. Ask my wife. They <laughs> See? <laughs> there used to be a t-shirt. We saw a t-shirt one time. We took a picture of it. It said, I'm sorry. I'm awkward. I'm sorry. That's me. That is me. I'm not, I'm not trusting in my abilities and my, my confidence is not in me. My, what I told you all ago, Matthew 28, that is my confidence. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. That is my confidence. What is your confidence in? Well, you need a confidence booster? Get in his word. That's the only confidence we need tonight. And then our companion. Look, I'll give you, for me, my armor bearers right there. I told you a while ago, without them, couldn't do this. Without them being 100% in. Just like, look, and his armor bearer said unto him, verse 7, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thine heart. Honey, you with me? That's all I need. She says she's with me. Now let me ask you this. Not everybody's going to be a number one. Not everybody's going to be that guy that says, okay, I want, I want to start this ministry. I want to do this. I want, I want to pastor this church, plant this church, whatever. There's got to be some people to come behind. Would you say, you know what? I'll be an armor bearer for our pastor or some of these other ministry leaders and say, you know what? Whatever is in your heart, whatever God's put on your heart, I'm right here with you. I am ready to suit up. I'll carry the armor. I'll go beside you. I'll help you out. I'll be the soldier to go with you. I'll carry the weight. I'll go knock doors. I'll wash wipe tables. I'll go and meet with people. I'll go to the hospital. I'll go meet with people who can't come to church. I'll run the sound booth. I'll be a door greeter. I'll take up the offering. Be an armor bearer. And then finally, as we look at Saul procrastinating unbelief and Jonathan proceeding by faith, when we look at God, we see that he performs not according to the unbelief of Saul, but he performs according to the faith of Jonathan. Again, we turn over to verse 23 real quick and I'm done. Verse 23, just those first few words. So the Lord saved Israel that day. Let me ask you this. As we close, brother, I'll pray and I'll let you have it. I just want to ask you this one question. Are we going to sit around in unbelief or are we going to go forward by faith? I'll leave you with this question. What's God waiting on you? What is God waiting on you to step out by faith and do? What, what decision are you needing to make by faith for God to work according to that faith? Whether it be stepping out to take charge or as an armor bearer, what would it be this evening? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Lord, we just ask that you would get all glory and all honor for everything that's been said and done. And Lord, that everything would be pleasing to you in Jesus' name.
Amen.